Ever had any of these justifying thoughts? And P.S. I've had them all. Number one, I'm not hungry, but I'll go ahead and eat another piece of cake. Two, who cares if I watch this movie? I can ignore the profanity and sex scenes. Three, everybody speeds when they drive. Four, I don't feel like being productive. Besides, I work all the time anyway. I'll just sit here and scroll Facebook for an hour or so. On the Choose to Think podcast, I will encourage and empower you to engage and optimize your best thought life in practical, meaningful ways so that you can live day by day in joy, peace, and God's purpose despite all externals. This is Victoria, and welcome back to the Choose to Think podcast. I'm so glad you're here. Hey, everybody. Victoria here. Oh, my goodness. What a amazing and just remarkable last couple of weeks I've had here. And I wonder, I'm wondering if you're a lot like I am. And sometimes things happen in your life and your head is just absolutely spinning. So my son got married a couple of weekends ago, just a beautiful, beautiful private family ceremony. So much fun, but extremely emotional. He's the last of my four children. And can you just imagine going through 25 years worth of photographs and walking down memory lane and seeing this little teeny boy, this baby, as just through the years as he grows and matures into this godly young man. Oh, it just is so bittersweet, isn't it? Where you're so happy and so delighted for how he's, you know, how your kids are behaving. And then But you're also so sad because you're just like in a blink of an eye, you think, where did all this time go? Where did, how did this happen? He's my baby, right? The last one out of my house and the last one to get married. So now all my children are married and I'm so blessed with the partners that each of them has chosen and that God placed in their lives. It is just such a tremendous blessing. I couldn't thank the Lord more for his graciousness and his, just this, the, the favor that he's bestowed upon my children. And it's just been kind of an emotional whirlwind. And then top that off a week later or so, and I'm engaged. I just shared that with you here recently. So now I have, I'm engaged. And so what a shift, talk about a shift in perspective, a shift in living, a shift in all my thoughts, my emotions, my mindsets, the practicality of all of this and what it means. So I'm in this flurry of a new season personally in my life, and it's just nothing to be reckoned with. Let me tell you, it's all all this new stuff and new relationships it's causing me to grow. And maybe that's one of the best things about being married, or at least I've heard it is that you, you can't really be selfish anymore. You, it, marriage pulls you out of, of your own comfort zone in a way. You just don't get to run the show anymore. You have someone else to consider and someone else to serve and someone else's feelings. And you have to explain yourself and you're accountable and, can you have to communicate? You you just aren't the Lone Ranger anymore. And so there's a lot of growth to be had in this. And then put on top of that, all the pickleball issues I continue to have as the Lord is working out of me and my heart, so many 
icky things like, you know, losing on the pickleball court. It is so confounding to me how I quickly, I can lose one game. Okay. I can lose another game. Okay. But if I start losing three or four games in a row, that really gets under my skin and I totally lose sight of why I'm there. And I totally lose sight of being grateful for the sunshine and the air and the social aspect and the wonderful friends I've met. I I just, I, I go back into this, I don't know, it's just so ugly. So I'm working on that. Do you ever get tired of just working on yourself? You feel like, oh, I'm always working on myself and am I, am I really getting anywhere? But the truth is I can see over the years how how gracious the Lord has been to me and just how much he has grown me. And some of that, not to my own credit really, but some of it is just my desire to improve, my desire to display the fruit of the spirit. Are you like that where you're working on patience, let's say, and, and or maybe it's self-control for you, some of the aspects of the fruit of the spirit you just want those so badly, you could just kind of clench your teeth and oh, grip your hands and you're like, ah, I want this so badly. I want to be transformed. I want to be changed. But you and I both know it's generally not an overnight healing process. The healing takes place over many, many years and God continues to give us encounters, people, situations, events, hardships and trials to all help refine our character and make us into the godly people that he desires for us to be. But it's a big, long haul. So I'm just sharing with you a little bit from my life and all the things that have been going on. So many wonderful, amazing, good things, but also that angst that you have when you want to be better, you know you're not where you want to be. You're grateful for where you are and where you've come, but you know you're not exactly where you want to be. So that's kind of where I am. And I'm loving the podcast. I'm loving all the wonderful guests that I have coming up down the pike. I've just formed an alliance with a publicity team, and they are sending a lot of great folks my way. I cannot wait to share them with you in the future on the podcast. So many amazing guests coming down the pike people who have dedicated their lives, their work to proclaiming the gospel, and they are faith-filled individuals living out their life as best they can with God at the helm. And it's just, they're just going to be wonderful testimonies. I think you're going to be so encouraged by that. So thank you so much for being here. I know that you've got a thousand things to do in your day, but I'm hopeful that the words that I say provide you with some level of encouragement and inspiration. And we're going to get right into Psalm 83 today. And kind of figure out, I'm going to tie it into the actual enemy that we have, spiritually speaking, who longs to devour us and sink us. And, you know, it's kind of that, that now that I'm moving ahead of my life and going to get married and think so many things are changing. It's, it's all new. It's new territory. It's like territory. It's like walking into or through a forest and, and you don't know what's around the bend. You don't know, you're not familiar with the the landscape. You don't know whether there are hills or valleys, water or barrenness. You just have no idea. It's all new. It's all, it's all, you know, interesting, fascinating, but also a little bit scary at the same time. And so our enemy, the enemy, he doesn't waste any time in, in coming at us, right? And he knows our soft spots. 
So I'm going to tie this particular psalm in because it, it, it's actually written by Asaph, a gentleman named Asaph. He was a Levite who was commissioned by David to lead the singing in the house of Yahweh. And it appears that he wrote, I don't know, about a dozen of the psalms. There are 150 altogether. And he wrote, he's the author of about a dozen of them. So it's attributed to him, but he talks a lot in Psalm 83 about his enemies. Matter of fact, I look at this psalm as some type of community lament. It's like a deprecatory psalm where he's like really wanting God to come down hard on those enemies. And it's a prayer of sorts against all the dangers and the threats and any kind of attempts of, at conspiracy from all these enemy nations that surrounded Israel and Judah. Or you could look at it as the church. And it was apparently recorded during the reign of Jehoshaphat. And that's one of my favorite parts of here. And I'm going to actually start with this story that comes in Second Chronicles 20. And it's under the section titled King Jehoshaphat defeats Moab and Ammon. And it's so interesting. So I'm going to skim through this really quickly and read really fastly. And by the way, if you think anybody, as you listen to podcasts, did you know that on your phone, you can speed up and slow down the rate in which the podcaster, the host is speaking? I have like this one person that I listen to, he's just so slow. So I put him on times two. I can speed up the pace in which I listen times two. You can do the same thing here. So if the podcast episode is 30 minutes, you can save off, shave off maybe five, 10, 15 minutes, depending on how quickly you can actually digest the material and listen to it. But I'm going to read through this particular scripture story um, found in Second Chronicles 20, and it goes like this. After this, the Moabites and Ammonites with some of the Maunites came to wage war against Jehoshaphat. Some people came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against, against you from Edom, from the other side of the Dead Sea. It is already in Hazazon, Tamar, that is, in Gedi. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all of Judah. He's one of the kings, right? The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. Then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in the front of the new courtyard and said, quote, Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you not the God who's in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations, power and might are in your hand, and no one can withstand you. Our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? They have lived in it and have built in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, if calamity comes upon us, whether the sword of judgment or plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name and will cry out to you in our distress and you will hear us and save us. In other words, you know what he's saying here, right? He's like, we are scared spitless here, but we're remembering this wonderful covenant and here we are, we're crying out in our distress to you. And we know you're going to help us. And they, and now Jehoshaphat is going to remind God of everything that's going on. And he goes on to say, say this. But now here are men from Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir. These are all their enemies, right? Whose territory you would not allow Israel to invade when they came from Egypt. So they turned away from them and did not destroy them. See how they are repaying us by coming to drive us out of the possession you gave us as an inheritance? Our God, would you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do. 
but our eyes are on you, end quote. I love that. He's like, okay, we're so scared. We can't do this. We don't know really what to do. They have this humongous army and we're kind of here and because of what you've allowed and we haven't a clue what to do. But then he says, but our eyes are on you. That's a good word, isn't it? Just for, for you right now in your situation. I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know how many enemies there are there in your life. I don't know how many trials and tribulations you are facing. But the question for you is, are your eyes on the Lord? Because somehow, just like Peter walking on the water, he kept his eyes on Jesus. And as long as he did that, he was able to cross. But the moment he took his eyes off Jesus, that's when the trouble began. So are you keeping your eyes on, on Jesus during your trial or hardship or storm? Well, it goes on to say this, all the men of Judah with their wives and children and little ones stood there before the Lord. So they're like, there, they're like, here we are, Lord. Then the spirit of the Lord came on Jehaziel, son of Zechariah, the son of Benaniah, the son of Jehaliel, the son of Medaniah, a Levite and descendant of Asaph, as he stood in the assembly. Isn't that curious? He said, Listen, King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. You hear that phrase a lot, don't you? The battle's not yours, it's God's. Well, okay, what does that mean? But in, so this is the prophetic utterance that he, he goes on to say, tomorrow march down against them. They will be climbing up by the pass of Ziz and you will find them at the end of the gorge in the desert of Jer Jeruel. You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your position, stand firm and see the deliverance of the Lord will give that he will give you Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow and the Lord will be with you. Again, that's another wonderful message for you. We can, I mean, it's for the community, it's for the nation, but you can also take heart individually that that's a great message for you on what to do when you're facing hardships. It, it says this, you don't have to fight this out. You don't have to duke it out. Simply take up your position, stand firm, and then watch for the deliverance of God. In the meantime, while you're doing that, don't be afraid. And don't be discouraged. Just go out and stand and face them. God is with you. The passage goes on to say, Jehoshaphat bowed down with his face to the ground and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down in worship before the Lord. Then some Levites from the Kohathites and Korahites stood up and praised the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. Early in the morning, they left for the desert of Tekoa. As they set out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Listen to me, Judah and people of Jerusalem. Have faith in the Lord your God, and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets, and you will be successful. So that's just another element, right? Having that faith. After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out at the head of the army saying, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. Okay, doesn't that seem backwards to you? They haven't even fought. They haven't even stood. They're just now going out to battle. But Jehoshaphat says, hey, let's give thanks. Let's praise. That's why gratitude and praise are just so important in our daily journeys. Well, as they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. There you go. One sentence. The Ammonites and Moabites rose up against the, the men from Mount Seir to destroy and annihilate them. After they finished slaughtering the men from Seir, they helped to destroy one another. It's like they killed themselves. You see that? The, the, the Hebrews did nothing. The Israelites did nothing. When the men of Judah came to the place that overlooks the desert and looked toward the vast army, they saw only dead bodies lying on the ground. No one had escaped. 
So Jehoshaphat and his men went to carry off their plunder and they found among them a great amount of equipment and clothing. And then it goes on, da, 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 da. And it says they all, all the men of Judah and Jerusalem returned joyfully to Jerusalem for the Lord had given them cause to rejoice over their enemies. They entered the Jerusalem and went to the temple of the Lord with harps and lyres and trumpets. And of course, the fear of God came on everyone else, right? As they were witnesses to this amazing type of, quote, warfare. So that's the context even for Psalm 83. And I now want to read to you the Psalm so you can see for yourself how closely they are related. But I want you to stay with me to the other side of this Psalm because we're going to unpack this whole notion of enemies. I doubt you have an army surrounding your house right now, ready to bust in your door, right? You're not facing a literal physical foe, but you do indeed have a spiritual enemy who seeks to kill, steal, and destroy your joy and peace. Meet me on the other side and I'll show you how to stand firm against that enemy that attacks your very soul. Psalm 83, a song, a psalm of Asaph in the NIV version. O God, do not remain silent. Do not turn a deaf ear. Do not stand aloof, O God. See how your enemies growl, how your foes rear their heads. With cunning they conspire against your people. They plot against those you cherish. Come, they say, let us destroy them as a nation so that Israel's name is remembered no more. With one mind they plot together. They form an alliance against you. The tents of Edom and the Ishmaelites of Moab and the Hagrites, Biblos, Ammon and Amalek, Philistia, with the people of Tyre. Even Assyria has joined them to reinforce Lot's descendants. Do to them as you did to Midian, as you did to Sisera and Jabin at the river Kishon, who perished at Endor and became like dung on the ground. Make their nobles like Oreb and Zeb, all their princes like Zeba and Zalmunna, who said, Let us take possession of the pasture lands of God. Make them like tumbleweed, my God, like chaff before the wind, as fire consumes the forest or a flame sets the mountains ablaze. So pursue them with your tempest and terrify them with your storm. Cover their faces with shame, Lord, so that they will seek your name. May they ever be ashamed and dismayed. May they perish in disgrace. Let them know that you, whose name is the Lord, that you alone are the most high over all the earth. And this is the word of the Lord. We've considered the historical context of this psalm, the corporate plea for God to save the nation. Well, let's make a more personalized application. Who is your enemy? Are you facing untold giants in your life? Are you at wit's end in the daily battles you face? Maybe your battle is physical ailments and paralysis. Perhaps it is addiction or depression. Maybe you feel so overwhelmed that you can't even see straight. Is something going on in your life that is causing you undue fear and anxiety? Would it surprise you if I told you that many, if not most, if not all of the battles you face are in your mind and start with your thoughts? Well, who are your enemies? Let me offer you three. It may be the world and what the world that is totally antagonistic to a biblical worldview tells you to believe or how to behave. And, and let me go on. I read an article recently about the lies people believe. And here are the top 10. And I'll put the link in the show notes to the article. It says, if you tell a lie often enough, people are going to believe it. So here are a hundred lies that people believe. 
One, there's no evidence for God. Two, the Bible is outdated. Three, love means accepting all choices is valid. Four, sex before marriage ensures compatibility. Five, I am owed a free education. Six, gender is assigned. Seven, truth is relative. Eight, I can do what I want with my body. Nine, I can accomplish anything I set my mind to. Ten, porn is harmless. You may even say, wait, those aren't lies. Well, my point is that Hollywood teaches and is powerful to influence your views, mindsets, and beliefs. I think we would all agree that Hollywood is antagonistic to God and his truth. Okay, so what's another actual type of enemy that you may be facing outside of the world? Okay, number two would be those, those quote, enemies could be those God-limiting thoughts or lies that you energize in your brain that keep you hand-tied and discouraged. In a focus on the family article about the top 40 lies women believe, here are just a few. Can you relate to any of these? One, God is not really good. Two, God doesn't love me. Three, God is just like my father. Four, God is not really enough. Five, God's ways are too restrictive. Six, God should fix my problems. Seven, I'm not worth anything. Eight, I need to learn to love myself. Nine, I can't help the way I am. 10, I have my rights. 11, physical beauty matters more than inner beauty. 12, I shouldn't have to live with unfulfilled longings. 13, I can sin and get away with it. 14, my sin isn't really that bad. 15, God can't forgive what I've done. And 16, I'm not fully responsible for my actions and reactions. Well, if your enemy is not Hollywood or those fiery darts and lies that you may be believing. What about number three? The thoughts that erupt that have everything to do with self-control or appeasing your own flesh in what may be ungodly or if not un ungodly, unwise ways. Ever had any of these justifying thoughts? And P.S. I've had them all. Number one, I'm not hungry, but I'll go ahead and eat another piece of cake. Two, who cares if I watch this movie? I can ignore the profanity and sex scenes. Three, Everybody speeds when they drive. Four, I don't feel like being productive. Besides, I work all the time anyway. I'll just sit here and scroll Facebook for an hour or so. Hmm. Okay. So what am I trying to say here? You, I'm trying to give you a reference, though. We don't quite have the enemies that Jehoshaphat had, do we? Back in Second Chronicles. And that's reflected again in this psalm, talking about how we're just begging God to stand up against our enemies. But here I've tried to personalize it, bring it, bring a little bit of the, giving you the historical context, but then an individual personalized application here of the scripture. And because we don't tend to deal with literal physical enemies, we have to look at our, the enemy of our soul or other, you know, other enemy quote enemies that we may have. And so I've given you three of those enemies and one would be Hollywood, kind of like Hollywood or the world, what the world's teaching you and telling you, which may be influencing your behavior. The second kind of category of enemy might be the lies that you're really telling yourself or those beliefs that are contrary to God's word, but yet you're energizing those and you're believing those. And then the last category would have more, a little bit more to do with like kind of like you're causing them in a way because you may not be exercising those characteristics of the fruit of the spirit, like self, for example, self-control 
and maybe you're allowing your thoughts to go in places they sh- that your thoughts shouldn't go. So I've kind of said, here are three types or categories of enemies. Now, okay, all this is well and good, but what do we do about it? Well, I actually teach a method called the seven R's for living your best thought life. Because again, I want to reiterate so often the battles that we fight are actually in our minds. Our minds, our thoughts have, our thoughts actually are chemicals and they have residency in our literal brains. And so what we're thinking about literally impacts our brain. And so if you really want to live your best life, you're going to have to start with, with living your best thought life, start with your thoughts because believe it or not, the source or type of the enemy won't really matter a a hill of beans unless you deal with your thoughts. So practicing the seven R's will help you in every single enemy onslaught, no matter where that lie is coming from, no matter what the fiery dart might be, no matter what God limiting thought you're engaging or lie you're believing or mindset or emotion that you're stuck in, the way to get unstuck is is to actually practice the seven R's. Now I'm gonna get I'm gonna run through these so quickly it's gonna make your head spin. But in the show notes you can find a link to get the document. It's called the seven R's for living your best thought life. Life. It's one page. It's an infographic. So in other words, it's a graphic. It's you'll see that it's progressive because you should do these steps basically in order. And and so it has it's information on there with a little bit of a graphic. That's why it's called an infographic. So you can get that absolutely free of charge. I want you to get that. I want you to use that. I want you to use this as a tool. It's my signature method for defeating the foes, standing alongside God and watching this happen. And this will lead you to emotional health, emotional stability. You will find that joy, that peace, that hope that you're looking for if you start with your thoughts. And so the seven R's are, um, and they're just a bunch of R's. It's recognize what you're thinking about, reject or resist those thoughts that are contrary to what God says about you, about himself, or about your situation. Replace those toxic thoughts with God's truth, with an affirmation, with something that helps you to pivot away into life and light and truthful existence and living. And then by golly, scientists tell us that we're going to have to repeat that method. So you repeat the recognize, reject, replace. You do that over and over and over, focusing on the replacement of that and that new thought that you want to energize, that new groove you want to form in your brain. And then look, you can step back and rejoice or just, you know, be so happy and up beat that you are renewing your mind. The Bible says, be transformed through the renewing of your mind. That's exactly what this process is helping you to do. You are actually being, you're renewing your mind through this kind of transformation that you're causing in your brain. And then the last two R's are rely and rest. So you're going to rely on God during this process, just like Asaph wrote about. He's like, God, without you, we can't do this. Just like Jehoshaphat did when he was telling his people, He said, look, God, you brought us here. We're not going to, we're not going to get out of this without you. Can you help us here? Because we can't do it on our own. And so you rely on God for this whole process and this whole transformation. You're always keeping your eyes on him and looking toward him. And then you rest, 
you rest and you enjoy, you rejoice. You just know that God's with you and, and you can rest in the, in the fact that he's going to help you live your best thought life. It's not all up to you. You rely on him and you rest in him and the provision that he has for you. Now, if you haven't gotten your copy of the choose to think, find peace, joy, hope, health, and freedom, everyday devotional, it's a 365 devotional, by golly, get your hands on that because in that devotional, it's a year long devotional. Each daily devotional takes about five minutes to complete. And it is chock full of information that is going to light up your brain. I'm serious. You're going to be on fire for a new way of thinking. I want you to get your hands on that. It's $17.99 on Amazon. You can have it in your hand in two days. I'll put the link in the show notes to my the affiliate link on Amazon. And and use that, get a friend to go through that. You can start. I don't care what month you're listening to this. I don't care what year you're listening to this particular episode. It doesn't matter. You can start today. And as a matter of fact, when you use that devotional and you have the infographic printed out right there, it's a companion tool for that devotional. You are all set friend. I'm telling you, you got it going and you can do it. So Listen, thank you so much for tuning in for your support of my ministry. I would love to have your positive comments. If you could share this episode link with a friend, if you could write a review for the podcast on Apple, Apple podcast, oh my goodness, I would just flip out over that. I will love you forever for doing that. Let me know, share and tag this on social and let me know because I, I need your support and I, what I'm doing is. I would do, I do without any support because of the love that I have to do it and the testimony that I have. And I know the Bible tells me that I overcome through the blood of the lamb and the word of my testimony. And that's what I hope to share with you on this show. So God bless you. I love you. Thank you for tuning in and I'll catch you next week. It's a wrap, brain changer. And until next time, Dios primero y que Dios te bendiga. Ciao.